Howdy folks, this is Casey, the Kentucky Trauma Therapist. Today we are going to be exploring my personal experiences with Hell House and now me as an adult and as a therapist kind of breaking down what the hell happened in that church. What was that? Big trigger warnings here are going to include, uh, we're going to be talking about trauma, specifically religious and spiritual trauma. We're going to be talking about pornography, uh, homophobia, and what else is there? In, in, in substance abuse. Those are the big trigger warnings that I can think of. We're going to start off by, before we even really get into Hell House and what Hell House is, and if you've never heard of what Hell House is, Oh, buddy. Um, it's so weird being from the South and we have them a lot of different places around here. And and then you try to talk to a friend, for example, my, one of my closest friends, uh, dear Joanna, she lives in Wisconsin, so quite far North. And when I explain things to her, like Hell House, or when we talk about those things, like her perception of them versus my understanding of them it's so wild because we're so used to it here and recently she and I were talking about some religious trauma stuff and she was like what the hell are y'all doing down there and I'm like oh man wow when you put it like that maybe there is some really wild stuff going on down here so today we're just gonna break down just the hell house piece and to start that conversation we're going to explain the the little albert experiment the the experiments with the white rabbits if you have no clue what i'm talking about you can definitely google that i think it was watson john watson was the head researcher on that explorative study and it was incredibly unethical so thinking around the time pavlov is doing his experiments on the dogs they're calling it conditioning Right. And, and if you need some info on what I'm talking about with Pavlov, he's the guy who is like, hey, we're going to ring a bell and then we're going to serve the dog some food. And that is going to create this conditioned response. So then he would ring the bell and what we would find is the dogs would salivate even though the food wasn't there. And he got pretty bad. He got to a point where he was literally starving the dogs. He wanted to see the point to which they would still have this conditioned response of the bell means I'm going to receive a reward. So yeah, this was way back in the day. This is definitely why we have boards now to ensure that there are ethical practices in place when it comes to research. So before all that, uh, we got John B. Watson and um, I may butcher this. And if I am, please look up your own research around this. But from my understanding, uh, they took this little kid and they, they put him in a room with a white rabbit. Actually, maybe it was a white rat in the beginning. Either way, they, they exposed the kiddo to like white rabbits, white rats, to, to things that were white in color. And they didn't do any any stimuli, just the exposure to it. And then what ended up happening is they wanted to take it a, a step further to see if they can condition this small child to to have a response. So they would exhibit to the child uh, a white animal white fluffy rabbit and uh, the child would get excited about seeing the animal and then they would do this huge loud noise that would scare the kid and then what they found is they could condition the child to be scared of the white animals even long after the noise was gone so then all they had to do was show this little child hey here's a white rabbit and instantly 
that child was conditioned to, to have this response of fear. And I love how they use the word conditioning. That's real fun. Um, cause, cause that's literally the same process in which abusers use to, uh, manipulate and control their victims. If you want to look at another example of where this happens, uh, I would recommend there's the story of the woman in, who lived in the box for seven years. And I can't remember her, Colleen, I think her name was Colleen. And uh, her abuser conditioned her to, if you do something that goes against what I want you to do, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. And what threw people off eventually when her abuser got caught, because he kidnapped her for like seven years. Um, they were like, well, why didn't you run away? And it's like, we, she had all these years of abuse where he told her that if she ran away, he was going to kill her entire family. So that was a core belief that if I do blank, X is going to happen. So of course she never ran away. That was real to her. Even though that's not reality to us, that maybe she, she should have ran away or that she could have ran away, her brain didn't let her. So I, would ju I just want us to have all of this in mind before we start talking about Hell House. Because that, that's some really vital information of how we condition folks. So here I was, I was 12, year, 12 years old. And the thing is, Hell House is, is meant to be entertainment purposes. And that was not the vibe I walked away with. So it was a church in rural Kentucky. I want to say it was in Scottsville, Kentucky. I could be totally wrong. So that's Southern Kentucky for those of y'all who are not geographically familiar with Kentucky. And the first thing that you notice is there's all these demons prancing around and there's this scary music going on and the vibrations of the, 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 those lights that are going on and off. And uh, it's just scary altogether. And the first little scene, because it's a bunch of different little scenes um, that you're walking into. And the first scene we came across was this man's funeral. And I'm telling you, it was like kind of Beetlejuice vibes, like those electric green lights. And, and there's this pastor giving a eulogy of, of this man who's dead in the casket. All the while, there's also a demon over here to the side saying, well, Johnny Smith loved his pornography and he put pornography before his family. And, uh, now Johnny's going to pay for it for the rest of forever in hell. And, and he like takes the man out of the coffin. The man stands up and he's so confused and he leads him off to these fiery hell gates. And so I <laughs> imagine being 12 years old and seeing that, like, I didn't quite understand what pornography was yet. Um, but I knew enough that it was where people watch other people have sex. And so, bam, wow. Now it, th there's this big fear around sex, like, oh God, it's so bad and it's so scary and bad things happen. All right. So let's move on. Um, there's another scene, and I remember it was behind Chicken Wire, which made it feel even more like a subliminal hint of how how trapped these people were. And they were behind Chicken Wire. And I guess like thinking of that as a person who grew up in rural Kentucky, you put things behind Chicken Wire that 
need to be protected. So that's just, that's a, I don't know, for someone who can think harder and is farther away from this situation than I am can maybe break that down a little bit more, but that, that feels weird. And, uh, and that's really funny because sometimes as a therapist, I'm like, huh, this feels icky. I don't know why it feels icky yet, but I'm sure it'll come to me later. Um, so, so behind this next scene, it's behind Chicken Wire and it's these, these kids who are doing drugs so first off, they show that the kids that are doing drugs live in kind of like a trailer park-ish situation. And they're they're doing drugs and they don't establish which drugs. And uh, like, I think they were trying to give the impression that the drugs were as dangerous as methamphetamine, but I think the drugs they were actually using were marijuana. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So, so first off, that's where we see this dichotomy of we're looping all drugs together as bad. I get it. Drugs hurt people, um, drugs in families, etc. But at the same time, uh, folks do recreationally use marijuana and don't break up their families. Um, it's a lot harder to find folks who recreationally use heroin or methamphetamine. So there's a dichotomy there. We're going to loop all drugs together are bad. And all of those drugs are going to lead to a bad thing happening to you. And then like, I want to say like they're doing drugs together and there's an argument and then someone pulls out a shotgun and then like shoots the other person. And so then it's like drugs literally equals death. Like that was the takeaway message. Like you do drugs, you're around people who do drugs, you will die. I'm sure there's a whole lot of other scenes and maybe my brain has blocked out a bunch of those um, because they were really traumatic or maybe my brain's just forgot about them over time because this did happen when I was 12 years old. But the, the next thing was there's this scene of two girls making out or they were fixing to make out like one girl was trying to talk the other girl into like being bisexual. There's nothing wrong with it. And the girl was like, I'm not sure. It's against it in the Bible. I don't want to upset anyone. And the other girl was like, like they, they presented it that bisexuality, homosexuality um, involves grooming. Like someone has to talk you into it because that's not a natural desire. And it's your job not to be talked into being a homosexual or doing homosexual things. Which, looking back on it, that's, I have never in my life had a person who was attracted to my gender that was gay, like a lesbian. I've never had a lesbian come up to me and be like, hey, I need to talk you into being gay with me. Like, it, like that never has happened to me in the real world. So, how House, you surely let me down. Um, my life would have been a lot more interesting if random women came up to me. And wanted to try and convince me into making out with them. So way to go, Hell House. That was totally unrealistic. Um, the, the thing is, uh, that, that girl who ends up making out with the other girl. Well, Hell House's version of making out with the other girl. Um, we end up seeing her again. So you go through all these different little sections. And at the end, we end up in the church that is hosting, like you're walking down the steps and there's all these pews and, um, you sit together with your family 
or whoever brought you to Hell House. And you see on the stage, uh, these, it's, it's that girl who made out with the girl earlier, her little sister and her mom, and they're all bloody and they've been in, you know, you can tell like something bad has happened to them and they realize they've died and they've went to heaven and you know, this is, this is, they're at heaven's gates. And I think it was a car crash. I want to say that's what it was. Like they were in a terrible car crash. All three of them died. Now they're at heaven's gate to decide what happens with their fate. So there's some guy sitting there with like a big book and like the stereotypical, when you die, go to heaven. Like what is it? St. Peter's is there at the gates and he looks in the book for the mom's name and he's like, yes, Martha, you have been an amazing mother and, and you are definitely coming into heaven. You've done all these good deeds. And so Martha turns to, to the two younger kids and is like, Hey, I'll see you soon. And she walks into the gates of heaven. And then the little sister's name who, who I'm, I would say she's like seven or eight. Uh, St. Peter calls her up and is like, okay, um, Jessica, you have been so innocent and you absolutely deserve the right to go to heaven. You just walk right on in. This is for you. And so the little girl, she like turns around to her big sister who's like 14, 15, 16 maybe years old. And is like, hey, I'll see you soon. Um, I love you so much. And then the teenage girl walks up to the, the podium and it's like, hey, my name's I don't know, Ashley is my name in, in the book. And St. Peter's like, uh, no, it is, it is not. And you participated in homosexuality and you dabbled in marijuana. And now you are not allowed in the heaven. And she's like, what about my family? And he's like, yep, sorry. Nope. You don't get to get into these gates. And then this is the more, most horrific, like this is, this image is burned into my skull. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. Like it is literally burned into my skull of these demons. So these people dressed in like these all black leotards with flames and, and, and they have these claws and they're like screaming and writhing and they, they grab this girl and she's literally kicking and screaming and begging for help. And they drag her off the stage into this like elevator thing where she's going to go to hell. Like, you know, the next part is she's going to spend eternity in hell. Holy shit, y'all. Like, what? Like, looking back on that now, because there's so much, it's so problematic. <laughs> Like, it's so problematic. What the fuck? Um, because it, it's created this huge dichotomy. When I say dichotomy, let's break that down just a wee bit. So so the idea is oftentimes we th see things that get labeled black and white. Like, it's either good or it's bad. And, like, there's, there's no in-between. Let me give you all some examples. So let's say uh, a person being on food stamps. Well, there's some people out there who are like, well, if you're on food stamps, that's automatically bad. How dare you, like... You're, you're abusing the government. Da, 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 da. 
Okay. Let's just say maybe there are some folks out there. I don't know. I don't know every single person who's ever been on food stamps for the entirety of time. Maybe there is a person out there who's scamming the system, getting more food stamps than they should. Cool. Got it. Um, but then there's also that, that single mom who's having to leave her domestically abusive husband and in order to do so, she can't feed her and her kids on her salary of working at the local KFC. So she needs to get on food stamps to ensure uh, the well-being of her and her kids. Huh. That takes a lot of guts. Because there's so much pride wrapped up into whether you get on food stamps or not. So so we see this this idea here of this good and bad. Like Like, let's take that away. How about it just is? How about that? Another example of of good or bad. A really, a personal thing I've struggled with. I don't have kids for the record. Um, I've had a miscarriage in the past. I do not have any living children. And uh, I I often worry, like, am I being a bad dog mom? Um, So I used to work a traditional job where I had an office to go to and I was gone for like the traditional, what, like eight to nine hours. And I would think, oh man, I'm a bad dog mom because my dogs are at home by themselves da, 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 without stimulation. And then I was like, well, wait a second. They're also not at the Humane Society. And they're also being fed two times a day. And they have toys and they have dog bones. So so maybe I am a good dog mom. And how about this? Like, let's just take away, like, I'm a dog mom. And there's going to be days where I'm better able to meet my dog's needs. And there's going to be some days that I'm not. Oh, fuck. While we're on the topic, let's just take it, like, another step further. So we, we tell folks, like, abortion is bad. And it's better off to put your kid up for adoption. So you need to have the kid and you need to go put it up for adoption rather than doing abortion. But what if that person has substance abuse issues? So you're now going to judge them for continuing to abuse drugs so that they can eventually have this kid and put it up for adoption when they could have had an abortion. So like we we label too many things good, bad. Like how about it just is? That, like, that's it. Like, I, I don't know what reward we necessarily get off of telling these people about their personal decisions um, who may not have the same resources as us, whether they're good or bad. So this goes into this notion that the whole hell house, the end, the finale is um, making out with a girl when you are a girl, when you identify as a woman and you make out with a woman and doing drugs, doing marijuana automatically sends you to hell. So I can't tell you as a trauma therapist in rural Kentucky, how many folks who've told me the first drugs they ever did or experimented with was with their parents. So now we're putting the responsibility on these kids not to engage in an activity with their parents that they probably felt closer to them when they were doing it. Like, I don't, I don't know how to make that make sense if you don't understand what I'm saying. When you have these attention-starved children who all they want is a parent to listen to them. And their parent offers them, hey, you want to smoke some pot with me? Hey, you want to do some dope with me? Um, and it, like you, this whole hell house thing told these kids they're responsible for that. And then like the whole homosexuality thing, uh, my interpretation is that 
Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to go there. I'm going to go there. I'm, I, I keep worrying I'm going to offend somebody, but I'm, I'm going to offend someone regardless of what I say. So it really doesn't matter. Um, cause <laughs> this is, this is my podcast. And if you want to have your own podcast where you can tell me I'm wrong, that's totally okay. You are allowed to your opinion, but, but my understanding of my involvement with the Christian church is that I've never heard in the new Testament where they say homosexuality is bad. I don't see that. Um, I do see in the old Testament where there's some criticism around homosexual behavior, but that's also where it tells you you're not supposed to eat bacon. And I think like you're not supposed to wear cotton and there's like a whole bunch of other rules. I am definitely not a Christian scholar. I am not a pastor. I'm literally a human being who grew up in Southern Kentucky, who also happens to have a license to do therapy around here. And I have seen this be problematic over and over and over again. So in a common phrase around here in the South is, well, you know, the Old Testament is just for us to reflect on and the New Testament is what you're supposed to live by. And it's like, okay, then, but y'all are, y'all are picking and choosing and saying, but, but when it comes to homosexuality, we get to go look at those Old Testament rules, but you're still eating bacon and sausage on the weekends. So I don't, I don't know how we can do that, but, but they did. So this Hell House, they kind of did that. They, they gave this illusion that, you know, homosexuality, that, that just lumps you in. And, and they, they posed it as, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, this is so fascinating to look at now. Um, so they posed it as that girl, she went to hell because she didn't ask for forgiveness for being, uh, engaging in that homosexual interaction and doing drugs. So she didn't ask for forgiveness before she died. So that means she's going to go to hell. And holy cow, looking at that, no wonder I grew up with OCD tendencies. Um, yeah, that fear of if I don't do this thing, then, then I might die and I'll go to hell. And it, it, like constantly, like I had to remind myself like three to five times a day, remember to ask for forgiveness for all your sins you've done since the last time you prayed. Because if you don't ask for forgiveness for those sins, if you die in a car accident or if you get struck by lightning or if you accidentally drown in the swimming pool, then you're going to go to hell. So that's literally the definition of OCD. You do this same ritual act or behavior, this compulsion to prevent something bad from happening. So I consistently would have to recommit myself to Christ because that's, that's how they ended it. They were like, yep, you gotta, you gotta keep recommitting yourself to Christ. And I didn't understand that at the age of 12. I had no clue what that meant. So, so here I am, I got to pray X amount of times a day to make sure I don't end up in hell. And what hell house really illustrated like to the core of what hell house was at that end, it was this notion of if if you end up not being good enough, according to someone else's standards, if you are not good enough, if you're not a good human being, according to someone else, then you will go to hell and you will be abandoned by the family that you love. They'll be gone. You won't have them anymore. You, it, it's the ultimate form of abandonment. And why I think that fucks us up here in the South so much is because you, you have a history 
of folks chronically being abandoned in one way or another by a family member. Like whether that's through addiction, whether that's through the parent has such low self-esteem about their weight that they're obsessed with diets to try and better themselves that they and, and over-exercising that they end up not not being there for the kid emotionally because they have their own stuff to deal with. And I think a lot of people take it personally when I say stuff like this. And I, like, like, especially people who have kids because they're like, oh my God, I did that. So she's saying I'm a bad parent. Again, let's go back. It's not a dichotomy. It is not a dichotomy. There's, I don't believe in 100% bad, 100% good. I don't believe that. It, it can be both. I'm going to give you a very personal example. Um, my biological mother left when I was 10 to go start a new family. And as terrible as that was for my mental health, it was also one of the best things she could have ever done for me. Because she was so unhealthy at the time, she could not meet my needs. So do I label that as bad parenting that she left? Or do I label that as good parenting that she left? How about this? It just is. It doesn't have to be either or. It doesn't have to be black and white. Like, doesn't have to be a dichotomy. It just is. It's just a fact. And I'm allowed to have feelings about that. So we have these kids who have chronically been abandoned, um, whether that's because of poverty reasons and the factory is, and I'm not trying to shit on factory workers. I just realized that a lot of factories around here take advantage of poor folks. Is That's what they do. They're like, hey, we're going to pay you some decent money. Uh, but the trade-in is we're going to do mandatory overtime and I've literally seen this. I'm not making this shit up. We, there's these people who are working six days out of the week and, and only have one day of break or these other people that are working like seven days a week, six months straight. And that we want to pretend like that doesn't affect the kids in the household. Are you kidding me? I, does that mean the parent was bad? No. No. Because it's it's if that parent didn't work so fucking hard at this factory, how would they be able to take care of this kid? I mean, it's... I'm not blaming parents. I'm not blaming kids. It's just there's, there's definitely some problems with the system. That, that part is for sure. So, um, long story short, please, it is, is far, fixing to become fall. Do not take your kids to Hell House. Um, as a therapist, I have seen right around, it's like right around October, November here in the South, there is all of a sudden this, this huge need for, for kids to need therapy. And one of the common denominators there, usually, like, we can, like, it's Hell House. Like, okay, so this nine-year-old experienced Hell House, and now they have extreme anxiety and can't go to sleep at night because they're worried they're going to die and go to hell. Okay. So, uh, as much as you love your kids, and I'm sure you're thinking, like, I, I need to show them and expose them to the consequences of being a bad person. Let's reevaluate what it means to be a bad person. 
Because you're saying people who struggle with addiction are bad. And they're not bad. They, they have an illness. And you're telling people who are homosexual that they're bad. And, um, ooh, what's that song? There's that famous white guy rapper song where he talks about, it's like, uh, it's, it's a very pro gay affirmative song, but he's talking about like, I kept my clean, my room really tidy and I thought I was gay and I kept having to ask my mom, am I gay? And she was like, no, honey, you like little boys. I'm butchering that song. I don't remember that white guy's name. I'm going to look it up. Hold on. Okay, I looked it up. It's Macklemore. His name's Macklemore. Okay. But th- what an excellent point. Of We had it ingrained in our heads so much as a little kid that being gay means you're going to you're gonna go to hell and be ultimately abandoned by your entire family. So I guess what we're just trying to get across here is, of course, we have these people who are terrified. Because we told them it wasn't okay to be who they are. And that something is so innately wrong with them that not only has their God forsaken them, but they'll just be chronically abandoned by everyone. And the thing is, like, churches actually play that out around here. Um, The community I live in now, uh, it's been really interesting to watch you know, when I was growing up and I was a teenager, one of my very dearest friends uh, was a lesbian. She still is a lesbian. Um, and they went to a specific type of church here locally. And when the church found out that they this, they identified as gay, uh, they told the family that if they didn't kick her out, then they were doing just as big of a sin as eating dinner with um with a child molester they they compared my friend to a child molester just because of the people she likes i do want to point out like it's wild to see how things have changed uh, our local presbyterian church recently showed up to the first pride festival that we've ever had in this community and uh, the pastor of the church went out there to the protesters and he was holding a sign that just says jesus loves you and it had all of the wonderful different pride flags. And that was really cool to see like, wow, this is this is the exact same community. Now, moving on, I bet you're probably wondering, why did I talk about all that conditioning in the beginning? So I want to get back to the point here that I was originally making about that that white rat that white rabbit the little albert thing the whole conditioning thing so what ended up happening with that kid is anytime they saw anything that was white or soft or fluffy they began to have uh, like a ptsd response they had that fear response even though the the thing to make them scared that loud noise that loud bang was not happening they still elicited this response of extreme fear. So now apply this to uh, the southern rural population of Christianity. Uh, so Christians have been conditioned to condition future Christians to be fearful of hell. And the idea is that will get the Christian who's conditioning future Christians to become Christians Uh, it's going to put them closer to heaven. So if you're pausing and you're really confused on what I'm trying to say here, let me find another way to explain it from a a personal experience of mine. So I grew up 
and uh my biological mother took me to a church in the local area and they were very hardcore about the idea of you you really have to be this warrior for Christ and that you have to be willing to die to state your beliefs and there's this thing of like I remember they kept throwing this really wild scenario around of if someone broke into your school with a gun and asked you, hey, uh, do you believe in God? And if you say yes, I'm going to put a bullet in your brain. They, they taught us like you're supposed to say, yes, I'm a Christian and die for that statement. And that was really scary. And I constantly... <laughs> was worried about going to school and having to die for being a Christian. Furthermore, I remember there was a school beta trip when I was 13 years old. So that would have put me about in the eighth grade for my middle school. And we were going on this beta club trip to Louisville. And on the bus trip up there, this girl who I thought very highly of, I thought she was so sweet. She confesses to me that in her religion, they don't believe in a hell. And when I say I had a panic attack, I don't know of a better way to describe it. Like I instantly, because all of that whole notion of I am responsible for spreading the gospel is my job to convince this person that there is a hell because you can't be a real true Christian if you don't believe in hell. So I'm panicking and I'm doing my best to convince this, because I think she was 12, to convince this 12 year old that there's hell. And the reason why I'm doing it, it's, am I worried about her soul? Yes, because I was like, I can't imagine heaven without her because I think very fondly of her. And then there's also this other bit of, if I don't talk her into believing in hell, then that means I'm not a good Christian. And if I'm not a good Christian, then I could potentially end up going to hell. So I want us to reflect when we look at these people who are putting on the hell house, it's like we want to bash them. And I get it. I'm right there with you because that, that shit really fucked me up and it was terrible. And I see it continue to mess up other kids. But at the same time, we're going to take a breath and we are not going to shit on those parents who send their kids to hell house or the people who do hell house because usually they are also a victim of this idea of they have to do the most extreme thing to get folks to believe in hell and be fearful of hell. And it's their job to do that because if they can make you a believer and make you a Christian, that puts them one step closer to getting into heaven. So basically, we're all fighting for this scarce resource of getting into heaven. And we're doing the most extreme behaviors and not recognizing how traumatic they are. So for people who um, come from lower socioeconomic statuses, for people who do not have education and people who have been indoctrinated into this culture here in the South, that these are acceptable behaviors and actually promoted behaviors, these people think they're doing what's best for their kids. Are there folks out there who are reaping the financial rewards of scaring people into thinking about hell? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you want to shit on those folks, I ain't going to fight you about it. You can shit on them all you want. What I'll say, though, is, is when we're taking it out on these poor folks 
who haven't been given an opportunity to know anything different and they have been terrified their entire life to think anything differently other than this heaven hell aspect because keep in mind a lot of these folks have experienced their own trauma whether that's religious trauma poverty related trauma um abandonment trauma etc like they're just perpetrating this belief because they think that's what's best for themselves and others Okay, now when it comes to the folks who've received financial reward for scaring the shit out of people, yeah, I don't, I don't have an excuse for them. And there's also folks who have used religious language to continue to perpetrate abuse, domestic violence, neglect, etc. Um, that's not the, the focus on this podcast episode, but we'll touch on that here briefly. So thinking of when, when people say, honor thy mother, honor thy father, and how that can be continuing to perpetrate a cycle of abuse, because what if their parents are abusive and you're telling this abused child that they need to continue to maintain a relationship with this abusive parent? Um, another example People have used the Bible um, and certain scriptures to um, continue to abuse women and and to continue to perpetrate sexist beliefs and, and to inherently benefit the patriarchy. So there are those folks, too, who, who are using the Bible in a way to benefit them. So you've got folks who are, who are using these things like Hell House to continue to, to scare people into being victims of abuse and neglect and then you have folks who are financially reaping rewards from these things like hell house um which basically they're making money off of scaring you at the end of the day i can't tell you how to feel your own lived experiences no one can take those away from you i know for myself and my family and a part of our generational trauma story you know, my, my father's father, he was a pastor and he was also one of the most wicked men I've ever seen uh, exist on this earth. And I saw the abuse and, and how it hurt my dad, how it hurt all his siblings. And, and that's their story to tell. And I'm not going to out them for their story, but I'm just going to say, like, I saw how much it affected my dad. So... I've experienced rage at people who do these hell houses, rage at pastors who preach this message. And now I'm, I'm kind of at a point in life where I can look back on those folks and have a lot of empathy because that really sucks to just chronically be that scared all the time of hell. That sucks. That's terrible. And uh, I hate that. So... I think in my head, like at the end of this, I was supposed to have some big dramatic answer on what can you do to end Hell House in your area? And I, I don't, you know, I don't have an exact answer because we're all coming from different places of privilege. And I come from a place of privilege, as wonky as this sounds. Um, you know, I have limited family members uh, that I call family. You know, I have my dad and I have my husband's. I have a, I have two sisters and I have a really close friend, um, in Tennessee. I have a really close friend in Wisconsin and, uh, I have some friends, you know, and those are the people 
that love me so much. And no matter what I say or do, they're going to love me regardless. And that's not everybody's story. Some people have to live with conditional love. That if you don't believe in this hell house thing, then uh, you're not welcome to Thanksgiving this year. So I do come from a place of privilege because, you know, my dad, my husband, they've all made it explicitly clear. And my friends, too, they're going to they're going to love me regardless. And if that's not your story, if you're one of those people that comes from a household where there's conditional love, you definitely you definitely don't have the same privilege as me to step up and, and say something. So maybe that is the answer. If you have the privilege where you're not going to suffer extreme consequences for being open about how religious trauma has impacted you or how things like Hell House have impacted you, then I would love to hear, I would love to hear your voice. And for those of you who aren't there yet, um, you keep fighting the good fight. And I hope you get to join us one day because I know how scary that can be. But uh, thanks so much. I'm super honored to uh, be able to talk about this topic and hopefully it was helpful for some folks. I would love to hear from you. I actually set up a professional, well, a free professional email for this podcast because uh, I didn't expect it to get the response that it has, which is pretty cool. And uh, that email is going to be Kentucky, spelled out K-E-N-T-U-C-K-Y, Kentucky Trauma, T-R-A-U-M-A, Therapist, T-H-E-R-A-P-I-S-T, at gmail.com. So thanks so much, folks, and y'all take care, and hopefully I will be back soon. All right, bye.